0: Welcome to episode 002 of Affordable Italy, Living La Dolce Vita on a Bootstring, this is your host, Nancy Steele. We're exploring Mary Hansen's road to the elective residence visa today. Please keep in mind that neither of us is offering legal or financial advice. We always recommend you seek a qualified professional when making decisions about your move to Italy. Visas are tricky and precious. Since Mary applied in 2019, the world has changed and so have visa requirements. They change often. Some things required for Mary in 2019 may no longer be the same for you, and some requirements may be more limiting. One thing is certain, many visa specialists are warning there would be expats to bring not only the minimum visa requirements in passive income but be prepared to include a generous amount above that there are 10 italian consulates listed in the u.s each can operate somewhat independently in terms of income criteria euro conversion rates and documentation requirements in fact they obviously do only three actually publish minimum passive income requirements and even those three differ my unprofessional warning to each listener would be to protect your dreams for retirement in italy By being realistic about your potential passive income ability to meet those requirements and in terms of not being too reactionary to what can look and feel like an impossibly high bar. In other words, be real but determined. Many people I've spoken with since I started researching in 2019 have had exceptional stories, both because they were astonishing and sometimes because they fit into a rare or unknown loophole. Seek advice from one or more qualified visa or moving specialists, perhaps talk to your trusted and creative financial advisor, and don't give up on your dream to move to Italy. Mary Hansen is co-founder of our Facebook group, Affordable Italy. She lives in a small city of 17,000 in Puglia with her husband Tom and her locally famous hairless Peruvian Inca orchid dog called Nanu. Prior to moving to Italy, they lived in Thailand for seven years. Those seven years were interspersed, with 90-day visits in and out of Italy, the trip she sometimes calls the Schengen Shuffle. Italy was the dream, Thailand the economic reality. With Italian tax being the highest in Europe, it made more economic sense to visit. In 2019, all that changed. Italy passed the 7% Flat Tax Act. Returning to the U.S. to get the necessary elective residence visa to move from Thailand to Italy, she made every mistake possible. She was turned down three times. Finally, at number four, the stars and the paperwork aligned. Arriving in Italy 90 days before the COVID-19 lockdown, she's been through the worst of it, and also the best of it, which has been experiencing the warmth of the Italian people. Now, four years later, she's paid taxes, renewed visas, and dealt successfully with Italian bureaucracy. She's truly living her best life. In 2019, the world looked inviting to me. I was enjoying early retirement and my husband's retirement loomed with the promise of freedom and the long-awaited opportunity to stretch our wings and spend some extended time exploring the world. Then, in 2020, my husband and I found ourselves a bit lost, emotionally and geographically. The global pandemic and our reaction to it had uprooted and moved not only our home, but our early retirement plans as well, as a Pacific Northwest native who'd fallen in love with and immigrated to New Orleans, a city whose colorful cultures, landscape and spirit just breathed into me. I suddenly found myself on the brown flat plains in the center of America, about as far from my subtropical heart home as I could imagine. It was a difficult move for me, and a wise friend who knows me well said, Duh! You've had the most European of American cities. All that's left for you is the real Europe. Or the beach. I'm a firm believer that when life gives you lemons, you make cocktails or limoncello. So my thought was, why not both? And our journey toward Italy began. But the reality was that our financial situation had changed, and the world had become much more expensive too. We weren't sure Italy was within our reach. Could we afford it? Europe's rich cultural treasures, globally ranked healthcare, fresh and amazing food, safe neighborhoods, and heavenly landscapes appealed to us most certainly. But would there be room in our middle-class American retiree income for other things too? Bars, restaurants, cafes, travel, grandkids? Or were the rumors really true that Italy would consume much of our income in taxes? Thanks to a bevy of generous American expats in Italy who've given advice and my favorite podcast, Retire There by Gil and Jean, we realize that many expats are living in Italy affordably. Now we're on a countdown and determined to use our time wisely. We want to be fully prepared for the move we now are hoping to make in 2027. If you're thinking of moving to Italy, perhaps you've got questions too. Join me with expats and experts as we explore affordable Italy living with dolce vita on a bootstring. All right. Hi, Mary. It's so good to have you on the show today. And I'm really quite excited to hear about your story in terms of getting an ERV. Oh, man, this
1: is the odyssey, (laughs) the uh, Iliad and the odyssey. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, in January of 2019, the Thai uh, Thai government changed the requirements for being a resident in Thailand. And the people that were there under the old visas, they forced us to go into the new visa system. And part of the uh, requirements were, you had to have health insurance, which I have, but you had to have Thai health insurance, which is like $500 a month. And then you also had to deposit $2,000 a month into a Thai bank account. I mean, basically, the, the, the word was out furong That's what Strani area is in Thailand, they're for wrong.
0: Stranieri in Italy are same as Farang in Thailand. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. So we're in Italy and Italy passes the 7% law. Now, Italy has always been the dream. Thailand was the financial reality. So we're in Italy and we go to the honorary consul because the consul in Bangkok is too busy drinking cappuccino to actually answer any questions or anything. So we go to the honorary consul in Chiang Mai. He says, oh, just go to Sicily. They'll let you in. So we go, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Color me <laughs> stupid. What can I say? Council says, <laughs> go to Sicily. They'll let you in. They'll give you the permission. So we say, okay, fine. We know we can do a Schengen 90. So I find a place to rent for, for 30 days in Sicily and 30 days in Rome. The last 30, we were going to have house on. So we go to Sicily. And of course, no, you can't just show up and get a permesso de Sadorno. Okay, fine. So we still have two months worth of prepaid rent. So we go to Rome and we, get, we spend a month in Sicily, which we absolutely loved. And if they had anything resembling decent healthcare, I would be in Sicily in a New York
0: We actually have an interview up in the next couple of weeks with a couple who did move to Sicily. And one of the things that she wants to let us know is she's had some very positive experiences with their healthcare recently. So I'm very excited to hear and hoping that maybe there have been some changes.
1: Outside of uh, Palermo, the I don't know what it is, it's American University has opened a medical school facility.
0: Maybe that'll have some
1: positive impact. Yeah. Okay, so we spent a month in Rome, so we still have a month, and we wander around Italy. And I said, well, look, since we're here, let's go and see if we can find someplace, 7% city, that we like so that if we can get a visa in the United States, we'll have some kind of idea of where we're going to go. So we drove around Calabria, loved Calabria. If a realtor had Mm -hmm. actually ever answered their phone or their emails or even been in their office, we would be in Calabria today. Wow. But that didn't happen. So we met Donna Mignon. She sold us 17 places in two days. The woman is a realtor realty maniac. And we found this place and we said, okay, fine. And we got the particulars and that kind of stuff. So, so June 1st, friend of ours has a uh, condo in Tucson, Arizona, that she rents in the summer for 800 a month and in the winter for 2000 So June 1st, we go to Tucson, And we move into her condo for $800 a month. Uh, In the meantime, by the way, we're still paying $600 a month on our apartment in Thailand. We start out and we discover that, oh, you have to get an appointment at the Los Angeles consulate, which if you go through the regular system is four to six weeks out. And I had found out that fortunately in Italy, when we were there in Maine, so I had booked in the consulate. My first appointment was like June 15th. I read all of the instructions. The Los Angeles uh, consulate is probably one of the most transparent of the consulates and what they want. They want a letter from you saying why you want to move to Italy. They want 31,000 euro a year in uh, income. And it has to be non-work income. It can be bonds, uh, annuity, or pensions. But it has to be consistent and have to show six months worth. Although I understand now that's now moved to a year's worth of this income being deposited.
0: I do understand that some people have had some luck with home rental income or property rental income in addition to that. Not all consulates are open to that. Oh, they discounted. They discounted by about 50%. Okay.
1: Then the other thing they want is other significant financial assets and they want a lease or purchase of a, of, a, of a property that has to be registered with commune, And we had a letter of hospitality from our friends in Rome. And so we showed up with a letter of hospitality and you go in and you stand in line and then you hand our documents in. We just had this pile of documents, you know, all of our financials and everything. And they said, this isn't registered with the community. It isn't good enough. They said, we don't accept letters of hospitality.
0: I see. Okay. So, you know, the website says, yes, we do. They don't. That's good to know that that was actually on the website, that it was a contradiction. And
1: some of the other consulates is still on the websites, but I'd be very, very leery of it actually working. Okay. So we they send us away and we go, okay, fine. We call Donna. Donna gets the lease. Now we're at the end of middle of July. Okay. So second time, go back with the lease and they say, sorry, your financials are not in the quote-unquote appropriate format.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: I'm going, what's the appropriate format? And they would not tell me. Oh, ouch. Yeah. I went to my financial advisor, and he gave me what they give if you're applying for like a bank loan. He gave me that. And then I went to the bank and got the same thing. And I went to my pension with the United States Postal Service. And got another letter from them. And I went to my husband's private pension company and got another letter like we were applying for a home loan, which is evidently the format they want. Good to know. So trot back. (laughs) Now we're on to the third trip. Okay. They said, you don't have an FBI background. You don't have a background check. And that's not on the website or it wasn't at that point in time. Oh, and health insurance was the other thing. So we had gotten the health insurance and we've had that translated officially, you know, and birth certificates and marriage certificates. All of that stuff is very well documented and fairly easy. And they have to be apostilled, which means you have to go to the secretary of state in whatever state you're in and get it apostilled. That's where that's done.
0: Did you also have to have it officially translated before the apostille certification could happen? Yes. Or is that all part of the same process? You no, know, it's two separate processes. Okay. Yeah, you have to get it
1: officially translated, and then you take it in, and they apostille both the English and the Italian versions. At least this is how it happened in Arizona. And you can Google apostille document in Wisconsin, how to apostille a, a document in Minnesota, wherever. It's fairly uncomplicated, other than it's a lot of work
0: and knowing that you need to have it. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Well, now we're on to the third time. By now, everything is in a three-ring binder with dividers, with a index. With, <laughs> I mean, this thing was like war and peace. It was literally a one of those four-inch three-ring binders. Everything is, you know, there's dividers, letters, et cetera, et cetera. They said, okay, well, we'll wait. You have five days to give us uh, your health insurance. So I'm on the phone to Bluegrass Blue Shield saying I need to copy the policy. 27 pages later, (laughs) faxed. Wow. And then I have to send it to the Los Angeles Consulate via FedEx, their file and everything else. So now it's the third visit. We're in August. And I think it was like August 6th or something. And they said, okay, we don't know, but we'll let you know. So they have 90 days. uh, And my friends apartment is renting the first of october so we're still in arizona for august and then september comes and they work very quickly oh Uh, we got a notice from them on september 9th that we had they wanted our airline information so on the september 9th we got our visa We have a dog. (laughs) That's a whole nother, you know, we had been lucky because Diggie had had his rabies titer done so we could travel through Asia because they want rabies titers when you travel with a dog in Asia. And we basically had all of the documents that we needed for him. It's a very tight schedule. You have from seven days before your flight to get the health inspection for the airlines. In that same seven days, however, you also have to get the health inspection for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which they then, you then have to like FedEx it because there's like three of them in the country now. And basically what it is, is their animal exports, places where they export a lot of animals from. Okay. The health exam has to be done by a USDA-approved vet. Just an ordinary vet okay. will not do it, or it doesn't work. September 26th, we're on a plane, and it's some airline that we landed in Rome, and the crew walked off the plane, and the Italian authorities seized the plane. What? It went bankrupt. The airline went. Bankrupt. Mary! Uh, I mean, literally, we land, we get our stuff off the thing, and there's cops all around this plane. What are the odds that you're timing, right? Yeah. Talk about looking oh at goodness. Yeah, because we'd have been out of luck with the tickets. Right. We were not honoring any other tickets or anything else. And basically, the airline had gone bankrupt while we were in the air. Unbelievable. Believable.
0: <laughs> hey, at least we made it
1: to Rome. They didn't make them land in, in some place like London or, you know, with a dog in the cabin. But it was, uh, it was a trial and a half. You know, if you're turned down the first time, go again. When you are booking appointments with the consulate, if there are two of you, book two appointments, one in one name, a second one six weeks later for the other name. You can both show up at a single appointment. They actually want that. Okay. Your chances of being approved in the first go around are,
0: unless your last
1: name is Clooney, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you're not going to get in. (laughs) You're not going to get an elective residency visa. They can be really, really picky. That's interesting. So (laughs) they're really special, you know. And what aggravates the heck out of me is I see people that get elective residency visas and come and then decide, you know, oh, well, we only did it for a year so that we could travel around Italy for a year. So that's an elective residency visa that somebody who really wanted to move here has been denied. Right. they needs to work on a long-term visa. Actually, the European Union needs to work on a long-term visa. Okay, one of the things that the consulate asks for and all of them ask for is a letter from you explaining why you want to move to Italy. If you say, oh, I love the food, I love the people, the culture, the art, whatever, they're going to go boring. And everybody thinks, oh, it's just a stupid letter. It isn't. It is a big deal. Hmm. My husband has a master's in Latin and he was working with Project Gutenberg. And there's a big Latin library in Pisa. And he was volunteering there. We had many, many years of Schengen shuffling in and out. So we had a you know, a history on the ground. What I can tell you is if you're just someone who's only spent a couple of weeks in Italy or maybe a month or two in Italy or that kind of thing, you're going to need to show maybe a history of volunteerism in the United States, maybe political activity. I don't know. What I recommend for people is before you go the final time, contact Nick Mata. I'll send send Nancy the link. He's a lawyer and they specialize in immigration. He'll go through your packet. It's a one-time $500 approximate fee. He'll go through your packet, tell you what you need or don't need, and he'll take a look at the letter. Basically, it's a big deal, and don't just blow it off, I guess is all I can say. The other thing is that the list of the items that they want for an elective residence visa on the websites are the way they want them in your file folder, three ring binder, whatever it's going to be. They don't want to have to go shuffling through and go, oh, what's this? What's this? And where's that?
0: And that kind of stuff. So just be aware of that. They want diligence, don't they? Yes,
1: they do. You know, I mean, if they got visas that you're giving out this month and you get 500 people trying to get a visa, you're going to be nitpicky. Sure. If your I's aren't dotted and your T's aren't crossed, don't expect to get a visa. But the only thing I can tell people is keep trying. Another friend here got turned down the first time and he was just so disappointed. I said, John, you know, take pictures of what you sent and I'll go over it. And I went over it with him and we uh, we solved his problems. And the next time it was great. You know, Mm -hmm. it was all good. So, you know, it's not a this will do type of thing. You have to be very, very precise. I guess is all I can tell you. You know, it's like your PhD thesis. <laughs> <laughs> like moving to Italy, <laughs> yeah. My PhD thesis: How to move to Italy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would have actually been a useful degree.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they don't want you to become a drain on the national government, so that they're going to want to see quote unquote other substantial financial assets. We were in line with a couple that had been turned down who had $150,000 in savings. Okay. Not enough.
0: Yeah.
1: Real estate is counted. They do count real estate. It's somewhat discounted, but I'm not sure at what percentage or anything else. The other thing you have to be aware of, the consulate uses a 1.30 and30 cents buys one euro conversion rate.
0: Even though today it's 1.09, that has right. been happening since January. And didn't you say, was it the LA consulate that actually included that? It was the first one.
1: It was yeah. the first one. Yeah. yeah. And that just happened this year. I mean, they actually announced the, the conversion rate that they were using. You know, and basically it's a 30% increase. And then when you get here, once you have your permesso de soggiorno, join the Italian National Health Service. But depending on where you are, it can be another 8% of your income. Now, that's not bad because it's 8% of whatever your Social Security is. For us, it was like $3,000 for the two of us, which works out to, what, 250 a month, a little more. And that's cheap, essentially Medicare. And it's good, it's good health coverage.
0: Without deductibles, I think is the important thing to note there. Right. There's no deductibles.
1: There's no co-pays. You do have to pay for your pharmaceuticals. Well, my husband's medicines in the United States would be twelve hundred a month. Here they're a hundred dollars a month. Wow. But it does not cover you anywhere but the European Union. So if you mm-hmm. want to travel, it is very, very hard now to get travel insurance to go to the United States. Mm-hmm. so at least keep your medicare in effect if you if you move to italy if you want to go back and forth
0: and being careful about that because there are some medicare advantage plans that won't cover you if they find out that you've been an expat
1: oh i did not know that
0: yeah okay
1: all right well that was pretty much it you know um i tell people you know when you're looking at an erv go to every single consulate's website and see what they're asking because there can be differences between websites and meet every single website's requirements.
0: For every single consulate. That is great advice. Yeah. If you
1: live in Miami and Chicago wants, you know, health insurance, proof of health insurance, and Miami doesn't, give them proof of health insurance. Give it all. Or Miami doesn't want an FBI background check, and Dallas does, get the FBI background check. There's not a lot of variation, but there is some. They have the right to demand whatever they want. Yes. And if you don't meet them all. It's just basically you're anticipating, you're being proactive. Don't give them a reason to turn you down.
0: There are 10 consulates in the U.S., so it's not as if you're dealing with 50 different websites that you have to research. There are 10. And I think right. it's a doable chore. Right.
1: And the other thing is be patient. They have 90 days. By law, they have 90 days.
0: Remember, you're asking to be a guest in the living room of their country. Therefore, you want to be as polite to your host as you can be and not give them any extra reasons not to want to live near you in their home country.
1: They're not impressed with your money. <laughs> you no, know? no, seriously, they really aren't. You know, yes, they like George Clooney. But if you've got enough money that you want them to, uh, that you think you, they might be impressed with your money, buy one of the high va- value visas.
0: You know, another thing on that is that multiple times on the expat sites, I've seen people who ignored, and I think the word is ignored, the basic prerequisite to have the minimum plus a little extra passive income. And then instead they've made wildly wonderful PowerPoints, et cetera, to show the person behind the counter, but I have all this big bucket of money. They're missing the point. The person that they're speaking to has criteria to meet. To me, that's that's also an issue of respect. You need to go understanding what the requirements are and not try to sweet talk or, you know, have an exception for you.
1: Their feeling in the Italian government and consulate is you can have a half a million, a million dollars in the United States stock market, and they're going to discount it because too often the Italian market has crashed and the United States market has crashed and that million dollars could disappear tomorrow. Also, it's spendable income. You might come here and decide, I want a Ferrari. There goes (laughs) $250,000. You know, I want a Lamborghini. There goes $250,000, boom, just like that. It's something you can spend, you know, whereas a annuity, yes, you're spending it. You're spending it at eight hundred, dollars $1,000, dollars whatever your annuity is a month, just like your Social Security. You're not never going to be able to access the amount of money that funds that annuity retirement as a lump sum. They want a provable income stream. That's the biggie. Yeah is your income stream.
0: With that being said, I have heard of expats who have for a short period of time taken out annuities to do what we call bridging a gap. Yes, yes. For instance, Peter and I are different ages. He will qualify for his social security before I will. We could wait until I pull, and then both of us together qualify. However, if we did not want to wait that long, we could convert some of our savings to an annuity to help bridge the gap that is made by my not having pulled Social Security.
1: And I guess my feeling would be, you know, once you buy an annuity, it's really hard to convert it back into an asset.
0: According to our financial person, there are new products on the market that are actually fairly easy for that purpose. Oh, really? Okay, that's a yeah. We evidently have options if we want to talk about doing that. It also used to be a concern that you're putting a chunk of money into something that's going to be a relatively low interest return, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, and they actually have other options, apparently, that are better in that way, too. We have not decided to actually sit down with her and seriously investigate what we would pull. Yeah. I mean, because at the moment, yeah. we're actually thinking about just waiting till I'm 62. I know that you were saying many people have said that they have to have the 12 months of those passive income deposits into those accounts for the ERV visit but there are people that have six minimum yeah six months minimum maybe we would apply when I'm 62 and a half which isn't very far away so yeah
1: no it's six months minimum
0: you're giving me confidence that if I'm turned down because I only have six months I'll wait six more months and go back again There might be some fear involved in going back a second time for those of us who, you know, look at it as a rather large mountain to climb, a pretty big daunting task ahead of us to get an ERV. But I think after hearing your story, I would be comfortable trying again.
1: Once they tell you where you're falling short, once you have the basics... You know, once you've got a lease, once you've got all of your financial statements from your savings, easy enough to have your financial advisor pull those up for you, your Social Security 1099 is going to always be whatever it was.
0: Another question, Mary, on your proof of income from Social Security, is that Mm -hmm. pre-tax, post-tax? Is Social Security already, has it already come out of that? Does that hurt the value that they're looking at? Or are they going by gross?
1: They're using gross. They're using gross Social Security income. Good. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. When we went, it was pre-tax. Okay. That's wonderful. And the other thing is you can also just get a letter from Social Security that says, this is how much your your Social Security will be. Yeah. Basically, they want to make sure that you're not going to end up on the Italian dole, and they want to make sure that you're going to be able to support yourself and care for yourself. Okay. Do you have
0: (laughs) any um, additional information, warnings, or words from the obviously wise? You're obviously going to get discouraged, but don't give up.
1: It's not a sprint, it's a marathon.
0: Love that. Love that. (laughs) I think it is daunting. And I think it's so important to have somebody tell us who's done it before that you can do it too. I mean, if you do your due diligence, if you have your paperwork in order, if you're not trying to bamboozle or wheedle, um, and you're respectful, I think all kinds of people can move to Italy affordably.
1: They picked the wrong person to go against when it comes to (laughs) everything. How dare you!
0: You have had a remarkable story in in every facet of moving to Italy. Who would have had an airline go bankrupt while they're in the air? Not just on vacation, no. Moving to Italy with their pet. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Another day we'll actually touch on your journey to find a flat tax town which is a hot phrase nowadays for folks looking to move to Italy affordably. Some of the decisions that you made in terms of lease especially actually could have potentially huge impact on whether or not a person would qualify for that. We'll touch on that in an entirely different show but would also be good for people to be looking at as they prepare for the elective residency visa talking to you. And uh, thank you again, so much for sharing. I'm learning so much. And I know other people will so appreciate the sharing, Mary. It's it's priceless, really. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like us and subscribe for more. We will continue to explore regions, towns, taxes, and tips here and on Facebook at Affordable Italy, living La Dolce Vita on a bootstring, at Instagram under the same name, and now at italyisaffordable.com. If you know anyone who is living in Italy who'd like to converse with me, I'd love to meet them via my email, italyisaffordable at gmail.com. And now for that much-anticipated Limoncello. Chin-chin!